are listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Good morning, Anthem Church. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up uh, to Galatians chapter 6. And so, it's what we do. We just pick a book of the Bible and study it all the way through. Um, after this, I think we're jumping in Jonah and then uh, going to do the Psalms this summer. So excited. But we're kind of in our last two weeks of uh, Galatians. And so we're in Galatians chapter 6. Uh, and we're going to begin to unpack that. But just by way of introduction uh, to our text, it's getting to be that time of year for planting gardens. Do Anybody gardeners in here? No, not really. You're like, I put seed down. Okay. For me, like, we, we try. I would not consider myself a gardener, but, like, we're committed to some extent. Like, went back to the farm a couple weeks ago, grabbed a whole truckload of manure, just, like, dumped it in there on the farm, just driving down. It stunk, you know? But we just put it on the garden. Then I, I'm not a real gardener, so I got to borrow, like, my neighbor's tiller, and he's got this big thing. We'll turn it all up. And then last year, you know, we're just, like, planting all these seeds and plants in there, just random. There's probably, you shouldn't plant this plant next to this plant, but we just kind of threw it all in there because more than that, I like gardening, I really like harvesting. That's just be honest. I'm, I really love that fresh produce right from the garden. In fact, like my wife, she made like these cute little bricks and like wrote what it is that we planted, okay? So here's the thing though. Like if I plant squash seeds, what should I expect to harvest, you know, like in the fall? So I mean, like, you just said you're a terrible gardener. Probably nothing. Like, well, in theory, though, if I plant squash, I should be able to harvest squash. Or if you plant peas, like, maybe you would harvest peas. If I plant lima beans, slap me, right? Why would you plant lima beans? Like, if you're going to plant something, like, plant something that's good, right? Okay. So the reality is, is this idea that, that whatever you sow or whatever you plant, crazy thought here, that's what you're going to harvest. That's what you're going to reap. That's just how it works, right? So what you, what you sow is what you reap, and that'll be our key verse today in Galatians 6, 7. And, and here's the other kind of not too novel thought. If you don't sow anything... Or if we just till this garden up and we don't put any seeds out there, how ridiculous would it be, like, come late summer, we're like, where's the produce at? <laughs> He's going to say, God can't be mocked. Like, there's this chain of events that what you're putting out there is what you're going to receive. And if you don't put anything out there, why would you expect to receive this harvest? But I'm telling you, personally, there's this frustration oftentimes where I'm like, Lord, I just want to see more harvest in my life. But that frustration is superseded by the reality, my lack of sowing. Does that make sense? That oftentimes meeting with Christians, there's this desire to see more fruit in their life, but an unwillingness to plant more seeds or plant the right kind of seeds. What we're going to see today in our text is just very plainly, this is how it works. God can't be mocked. This is the created order. That where we sow is what it is that we'll be reaping. And so we're going to dive in to Galatians chapter 6. And then we're going to look at verse 6. It says, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. 
And if you missed last week, Luke kind of was prepping. This is in the same vein of thought. In fact, a lot of your you know, Bibles probably have this in the same paragraph of Scripture. And last week, Luke was talking about and gave us this illustration that each of us have to carry our own backpack. There's just things we need to do, like need to provide, uh, need to make my bed, need to, you know, uh, prepare meals. Those are just personal things that each of us have to do, our own little backpacks. But then there's these other things, burdens, that are kind of overwhelming, uh, that we come alongside and we help, as believers, help people carry those burdens. And so, in this personal responsibility, in, in kind of the same theme, he says in verse 6, let the one who's taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. This idea that we should be giving or we should be sharing with where it is that we're receiving. I, I don't know if you're aware of the encouragement that that brings. Some of you guys are leaders in your own companies or at work, right? And you have people, and what he's saying here is that if they're the ones teaching or if you're the ones pouring out, it is right for those that are being blessed by that to turn around and bless you, that they would share those good things with the one who is teaching. I think minimally that means encouragement, right? I grew up where my dad said, hey, after somebody teaches uh, you, that you should go up and shake their hand and say, thank you for that. Like that kind of level of responsibility, like, thank you for the lesson today, thank you for the hard work, that you should be willing to share that level of encouragement. In fact, I think there's whole churches that the pastor will stand back, and they take this really literally, and they just shake hands, like, thank you, pastor, thank you. You don't have to do that, right? But this, but this idea that we would be willing to share with those that are teaching us, and, and this, I think, certainly means encouragement, but going beyond that is giving back to where it is that you've been receiving. Seems fair. Paul would tell, the same author of this letter would tell the Corinthians, saying, think about this. If you use an ox to go harvest, you don't put a muzzle on the ox when he's harvesting. He's helping work. He should be able to share in some of that fruit while he's walking along. He should be able to eat because he's helping with that harvest. He goes on to say, all the more those that are working on behalf of the Lord. And I would say, in terms of sharing financially back with the church, y'all shouldn't feel too guilty about this. Crushed it. <laughs> For some of you, you're unaware that, that last year, the general giving here was 256% of what we expected. Like, that's two and a half times. Like, there's just a generosity. In fact, the, the one story I heard of somebody that wasn't giving, it wasn't because they didn't want to. They're just like, I don't know how to give, okay? <laughs> they're like... How would, I, how would I even give to this church? And so we don't like pass the plate around here because we don't want to be an imposition to people that are just checking it out and visitors. But I understand that it kind of makes it hard for people that want to give because our little giving box, it's like mounted on some two by fours, like this discreetly tucked beside a door, isn't the most obvious thing. In fact, usually you like have to bull rush through some like greeter or whatever just to like drop a check in there. So we understand like we don't make it easy for people to give. I mean, there's, there's online giving and stuff, but, but somehow so many people have found a way to give generously. And I think this is right and scriptural to share with the one that is, that is teaching, with where you're receiving that blessing from. 
And just so you know, like when you give to Anthem Church, side note, I've got a graph that Brock can kind of throw up. This is where like the giving goes. And this is just how we break down our budget. We share this with all of our members, but I just want everybody to know with the level of transparency, 40% of that goes towards ministry. So youth lock-in, um, ministry kind of expenses as we do foster adopt stuff. Regional and global giving as we take trips. All of these students, these college students that are going over, as you give to Anthem, we help send them there and do those things. Global giving is we've got a couple that are going to go overseas. That kind of comes out of that 40%. 28% goes to our college ministry. That's nearly a third. Just recognizing the mission field that we have amongst college students who have all kind of come to Columbia to be taught the strategic nature of sharing Jesus with them as they go back to their hometowns and go back to churches. And so it's a unique four- to five-year window you have with college students. And so we invest heavily in that. And that other kind of third is, is towards staff salaries. Again, direct recipient of, of this, this verse 6 that, that you guys would share so that we as a staff can do equipping classes, counseling, do hospital visits, leadership development, and even dedicate ourselves to teaching. Man, as you guys do your part, that allows us to do our part in that. I'm really grateful and, and humbled by that. There's a, a weight feel um, to, to hold up my end of those things and our end of those things as staff. And so that's kind of where giving goes. And here's the reality. You guys as a church have been doing this well from day one. And I am thankful because this is not my story when I was a college student. <laughs> like I just did not give to the church that was feeding me. In fact, if everybody would have followed my giving example, as I was a college student, like the church would have had to like board it up and shut it down. All those shepherds would have had to go get other jobs because I just wasn't giving anything. I like, I don't know, just ignorant. I'm, I never thought like, I wonder how, you know, they pay the rent on this place. I was just like, I don't know. I just like consuming and never thought like in that moment of like, bless me. Like, oh, you might want to be blessed back. <laughs> like, I didn't register. And it wasn't, I wouldn't, like, not being generous, you know, I'd see some, like, infomercial on TV, you know, about these dogs and this pound and, and how they needed, you know, finances. I'm like, okay, yeah, we can give towards that or somebody's going on a missions trip. I'm like, totally about that. But all the while, like, as my shepherds who were over me was not giving back. And you see how that would break down really quick and the inability for them to continue to shepherd. And so thankful God was gracious towards me in that moment. And now my wife and I, you know, we just say, okay, we're going to pick a percentage, give it back to the church. And then after that, if we want to do some things for missions, stuff like that, but we pick percentage, try and increase it every year. And this desire to give, to share with the place that is truly feeding us. And so give where you're receiving. That's what he's saying in verse 6. And this idea continues in verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, there he will also reap. This idea, you will reap what you sow. And Austin's going to help me with this um, illustration that I've got coming up. But this idea that we want to reap, we want to harvest wisdom, 
That's me, right? I want to get smarter. I want to, I want to grow and I want to get more intellectual and I want to better understand the things of God. Yet when I sow towards the TV or sow towards social media, sow, sow towards Craigslist, that's not going to help me get any smarter, right? And what he's saying is, Austin, you can go ahead and bring that out. God cannot be mocked. And this reality that people do oftentimes what they want to do. So we're going to get this ladder. You guys are like, what is going on? Okay, you're distracted. So we'll just jump right to this fun part, okay? This idea that if you're going to sow to the flesh, he says in verse 8, continue reading with me, and then we'll talk about this ladder. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. This idea that where you're sowing, where you're planting the seed, that's where you're going to harvest from. Now, this is a borrowed ladder, so some of you are concerned already for my safety, as am I. But uh, Fred Stoker is an author. Uh, He wrote Every Young Man's Battle, and he uses this kind of illustration in regards to purity. But we, we think, okay, what's it mean to to reap, and oftentimes we don't have enough foresight to understand that the seed we're putting down is going to be the fruit that we harvest later. And so Fred would use kind of like this ladder illustration. See, if you fall from up here, you're going to feel it, right? <laughs> like this is, this is break hip and arms kind of rung up here. If you fall from like, like right here, you really don't feel it much, right? But you have to hit this step on your way to this step, on up. And so Fred kind of uses this illustration, understanding that this path to sin, this road to hell is a gradual one. And so, meaning like someone that has an affair, cheats on their wife, and wrecks and destroys their marriage, Typically, you don't just jump into bed with a stranger, Fred would kind of argue. There is this this process. And so perhaps the first step in that is just a failure to bounce your eyes and say, no, I'm not going to look at that. Then becomes this decision of like, well, I'm going to watch these kind of shows that are a little more racy, okay? And then after that, I mean, I'm going to show a little more preferential treatment to this coworker that I find attractive. Well, now we kind of found ourselves in a precarious situation, but we didn't give in. But the next time we did give in, and now I'm just fully committed. Are you concerned for my safety yet? (laughs) Making the point, though, that this is a gradual process. And then all of a sudden, somebody falls from here, to think, what happened? How is it that I destroyed my marriage? How is it that I've wrecked our family unit? Because you didn't bounce your eyes. You didn't choose your movies correctly. You, you didn't treat them as just a coworker. You, it's this process. Okay, take a different one. Where do where you want to go? You know, the, I was a little bit deceptive on my taxes. Now I wasn't really clear in, in business. That wasn't the right thing that I, I should have done there. And, and now all of a sudden, it's a, it's a gradual process. And he's saying, what it is that you put there, where it is that you start, that thing's going to grow up, 
And you're going to harvest it in. Verse 8. If you sow to the flesh, from there you will reap corruption. You're going to sow. Are you going to sow to the flesh? Or the alternative is sowing to the Spirit. And here's the reality is when we understand that this sowing, the fruit that we're reaping, we hold some responsibility to that, it begins to remove some of this victim language. Right? Because people up here are like, I, I don't know what happened. I just, I just slipped. I just, I just stumbled into sin. I mean, he's just, I, I don't know. The only reason you would say that, the only reason you would come across as a victim in this situation is because you fail to understand the little steps that put us here. And I think as a college student trying to pursue purity, I just use that victim language. But when you break it down, it's like, what were the steps? What were the processes that led to that? And here's the thing that uh, Bob Thune is another author, and he's done some of our conferences. I love, he's like, the sooner you can get rid of that victim language, and understand your role in that sin, the sooner you'll be able to repent and actually do something about it. Because as long as we stay the victim of, well, I just don't know what happened. It just happened again. I looked at what I didn't want to look at. If we stay in this kind of like, well, it just, what are you going to do? Then we have nothing to actually repent of. We just punt responsibility. I think the reality that we see from this text is there is a responsibility that if we're reaping in that corruption, that pain that comes from sowing to our flesh, God holds us responsible for that. And this reality that when we can begin to own, you know what? That in me, it's me. For the most part, people do what they want to do. And when you can identify that, call it what it is, then you can repent of it. Yeah, I'm the kind of person that, that really wants money, that really loves stuff, and so that's why I would want to cheat on my taxes. That's why I would want to be deceptive. Once you can begin to own that, then you can repent of it, and by God's grace, walk in step with the Spirit, because in verse 8 he says, sow to the Spirit, and then you can reap eternal life. What's it look like to sow to the Spirit, to, uh, to memorize Scripture, to read? Uh, Austin, you want to take this ladder? This is going to be interesting. Did he disappear? Okay, Luke, you want to take a ladder? You got this? Everybody, you understand? We can go away with the ladder? Okay. This idea that what's it mean to sow to the Spirit? I think part of doing that is, is being prayerful. Reading scripture so we can understand the voice of God. <laughs> One pastor's like, I just don't know uh, what God would say. And Paul Sabina is like, well, just read your Bible out loud. You can better hear the Lord and understand his voice. You want to hear God speak? Read your Bible out loud. Memorizing scripture. I remember this when I was in college. I'm like, oh, I just, I just can't memorize scripture. And pastor's like, really? Because it seems like you can memorize a lot of movie lines. It seems like you know a lot of songs on radio. Perhaps you just have poor memorization habits. <laughs> you know, like, like yeah, touche. Like, I'm not disciplining that. And, and I, this idea, though, like, 
We don't typically do this. It, when it comes to church world, we respond a little bit differently. In like the, the secular real world, like we understand cause and effect. Like when I would go work out at the gym and you just see like these beast men. Never once did I just look at them and be like, wow, he's just got great genetics. I mean, just all in the genes, you know. And you're like, that dude works hard and, and whatever else. Like, but there is... There is something going on to create that. But I feel like when we get in the church, we see people that are just spiritually mature, that know their Bible so well, and we're like, man, they're just blessed. Lucky to be them. <laughs> what? No. The reason some of your leaders know their Bible so well is because they spend a lot of time in it. They soak themselves. They, they pray. They read. They memorize. It's hard work. It's not just natural, but there's this dedication, this commitment. And from that sowing, that we can reap this eternal life. Both heaven and, and here, living in step with the Spirit, verse 8. It's hard work. And so there's this personal responsibility that is related to the kind of fruit that we're going to harvest in. And again, this is not unmarried from the section that was just before this where he says, carry your own load. Right there, there's this personal responsibility that we have as believers. And it gets hard when people are like, well, God's sovereign. He'll just do what he wants to do. Yeah, in God's sovereignty, what he said is get to work. Christian, get to work. He's calling us to actively Pursue, and he's going to partner with us in our sanctification. It's, it's by God's grace that we can become more like him. God's going to come alongside us, but we also have a role to play in that growth. Otherwise, why would he say, hey, go after these things, do good. The fact that we got to be commanded these things suggests that we have some level of responsibility. Now you hear this, and perhaps you're like me at times, like, oh, it sounds like a lot of hard work, Right? Like, I get that, you know, it's kind of like a garden. You're like, I get that it'd be fun to harvest your own stuff, but I just go to Hy-Vee and just buy it. <laughs> like that, and some of you hear like, oh, it'd be great to kind of reap the rewards from spending more time in Scripture or from loving others, but this is hard work. And living by the Spirit, that discipline, and uh, the college guys, they were, you know, meeting with Nick, our worship leader, who also leads a, kind of a discipleship group among some leaders. And they came up with a clever phrase, I feel, for this. They call it that feeling of just kind of despair. Like, I just, I just can't. It's a, a bread truck Monday. And what they mean by that is like, some days it just seems really appealing to be a bread truck driver. You just got your wheel, the open road. I don't, they came up with it. I didn't come up. But just this idea, like, if I could just go... Deliver bread, drop it off, see ya, and like get back in the truck. There's some, something freeing rather than grinding it out, trying to share the gospel, leading these guys, being just me and the bread, right? If we could just do that. For me, like the lie is like, well, if I could just farm, if I could just be out there, just open space, just cows, then, then it would just be freeing. Like, some of you are like, that is weird. I don't know. Like, they bread truck me farming. It just seems like that would just bring freedom, which is ironic because this whole passage is about how hard farming really is. Like, 
Any farmer is like, oh, you think it would be easy? Like, I put in more work by 8 a.m. than you do in the whole entire day, right? Farmers work hard, but there's this lie that's like, I just want to check out. I just kind of want to give up. And seemingly in anticipation of that, Paul charges them in verse 9. Right away, he's saying, do this in verse 6, 7, 8. And then in 9, he knows that this is coming. He says, let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. In anticipation that you might want to quit, he's, don't grow weary. Don't give up. I mean, that voice that is telling you to give up, to quit, I assure you it is not God's. I mean, Satan would love nothing more for than those that have been empowered with the Holy Spirit to have God in us to roll over and quit. That is not God's. And, and oftentimes it's like, well, I don't want to quit. I just want to find the easy path. Sure, it might be easier, but we're not called Christians to take the easy path. We are called to take up our cross and follow him. That's what we're called to. And so, man, perhaps you're in this kind of bread truck Monday. Maybe it's a, it's a day, a week, this season. Maybe it's the past few years. And I think Scripture clearly provides, even in our text today, three motivators to kind of make it through that season and have right perspective. One motivator for being able to obey, verse 9, to do good and to continue to sow to the Spirit. One motivator, one reason that we should leave here and want to be about these things. Here's your motivator. God said so. That should be some motivation. The God of the universe is like, Josiah, you should do good to others. God said so. That should be motivation enough, right? Now, I believe even in this text, God's going to give us a couple other motivators for, for continuing to persist in these things. But God calls us to, and we have to trust it. Man, God, who did not spare his own son, loves us and has our best interest in mind. And so if God calls us and is asking us to continue to do good, to not give up in those things, to sow the Spirit. We must obey God. And this idea that, that at Anthem Church we say the vision that we have is that people would really know God. Because if you know God and who He is and the love that He has for us, out of that knowledge of who God is will flow this love for God. As we know who God is and how great he is, this, we're going to have this love towards God, and out of that love flows obedience. And so this obedience, we should obey what's here because, man, God said so, and he loves us. Another motivator to get out of this bread truck Monday mindset is the fear. In verse 8, fear is a proper motivator, right? I grew up running hunting dogs. And we have a little shock collar on them. I tell you, fear is a proper motivator. Like, they should obey out of love for me. They should obey perhaps for the reward that they would get. But I'm telling you, fear also is a motivator. Or like my kids, like when they're like running towards the street and you're like, Danica! And you yell, they're like, ah! They stop. I'm just glad they stop, right? Fear is a proper motivator. Obedience is better than disobedience. And so while it's not the primary, there is this reality that if we sow to the flesh in verse 8, we will reap corruption. 
Now he's going to go on to say another motivator, not just out of love for God, not fear, should be reward, the reward that's coming that if we persist in these things, if we do not give up, we're going to reap this reward. And so that is also a motivator. But some I feel like, well, I'm not, that, that doesn't do it for me. Okay, does the fear of doing it the other way, that also can drive you to the right action. So we just see in this text, God wants us to obey him, to walk in these things, to not grow weary of doing good. And he's going to continue on in verse 10 to tell us more specifically what that looks like. But a love for him should drive us to that, a fear of the reaping of corruption if we sow the bad seed, or perhaps the reward, all those things motivate us to persist in doing good. And verse 10 kind of becomes the application then of sowing seeds. Look at with, with me if you would. Verse 10, so then, again, don't grow weary, don't give up. So then, as we have an opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are in the household of faith. Again, this is almost like the application of what he's saying about, about sowing and reaping. See, in verse 6, talking of the household of faith, he says we should share with those who are teaching us. And now here in verse 10, we see again the household of faith. He's saying you should look to do good amongst everyone, but especially those that you take communion with on Sunday. And that's his words right there, God's word to us, especially to those who are in the household of faith. And we should look for these opportunities. Part of that is why it ties to Luke's text from last week that if we're too busy, weighed down by our backpack, you know, it's, it's hard to, to look and see other people. But as we carry our own backpack, our load, we can look around. And I'm telling you, there are some people that have like this uh, opportunity awareness. Uh, I don't know. It's the best movie to quote, but like Jason Bourne, you know, like Bourne Identity, he's like just, just on it. He like exits and knows everything. I, I think of people that are just think like that. There's people that are like have that Jason Bourne almost situational awareness towards serving opportunities. Like you'd be in here on a Sunday over here on this side of the room and you hear somebody that bought a house. You're like, well, what's that? You bought a house? You're probably going to need help moving, aren't you? Want me to bring a truck? I got some boxes. Like people that are just so attentive and ready to serve. I am challenged by that. I don't know, at some point, my wife mentioned, oh, we're going to plant a garden. I wish I could just grow asparagus. Next thing I know, somebody from the church got us a little package. You're like, what's this? And it's like, oh, it's asparagus to plant. You're like, how? This wasn't like a big conversation. It was just something in passing. But that, that ability to, to see opportunities. Verse 10, he says, as we have opportunity, I'd say, moreover, creating those opportunities. There are some people that just are so challenged and encouraged by that. What does it look like to create opportunities to love those, especially, Bible's words, those within the church? And here's the thing is, is convicted because I know what it's like to get creative, to go after something that I want. You ever have that? You're like, I really want this. I'm thinking, you scrimp, you save, you figure it out. And then you, whatever sacrifice to make. Man, I wish and I would desire that that same level of creativity 
that's implied to, to going after something I want would be applied towards loving others, to creatively meeting those needs so that as we have an opportunity, as we create those opportunities to do good to everyone, especially to those who are the household of faith, we'd be able to obey this text. This is what the Bible is calling us to as we, as Christians, carry our load, load our backpack, that we would then be able to go and love others. And, and the reality is we look at this text, we have to understand, and I would want you guys to understand, the personal responsibility we have in our desire to harvest, our desire to gather and to, to reap. It'll be reflective based on what we are sowing. Now here's the thing, is this how this all ties, because up to this point, this message could be preached in a synagogue. Right? This could be void of Jesus, but to do what we're talking about cannot be void of Jesus. And what I mean is Jesus would say this in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. He would say to us, come to me, all who are labored and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is is light. Here's the reality. Christians, you don't get a bread truck Monday. You will be carrying something. Will it be the burden of our sin or the easy, light yoke, light load of loving others? Are we, another way to say this was because of what Jesus has done on the cross, we can exchange this burden, this, this guilt of, of sin that we've been carrying around. We can take that off, put that upon Jesus, who willingly took our place, died for our sins, that we could be forgiven. And so Jesus is saying, okay, now take my yoke. It's light. Instead of carrying your sin, here's what I want you to carry. Love others as I have loved you. That's what we are called to do in that freedom of not carrying our sin. Now we are free to love others, to carry that load. I desire that we would eagerly make that exchange, free from sin, but alive to Christ and to serve him. The Hebrews would, would say, in light of this, we had to look to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despite uh, this, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Consider that so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Christian, we're going to be able to take communion. And again, this is intended for those who would say, my trust is in Jesus. This is significant to applying our text because our ability to leave this place and go love others and serve them and seek those opportunities, First John talks about the only ability we have to do that is because he first loved us. Jesus Christ first served us. He forgave us, patient with us. Jesus is the source of our ability to overflow and to do these things. Apart from him, John 15, Jesus said, can do nothing. 
but it's in light of what God has done for us through Jesus that we have any hope of being able to sow that good seed and leave here in hopes to better love others because we've first been loved us. And so God first loved us. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to invite the band up and we're going to take communion together. We've got tables kind of set in uh, all four kind of corners. Up here is, uh, is gluten-free if that's for you. But as the band plays, there's just an opportunity. And what I'm asking for you to do right now is to just pause and ask the Lord who it is that he would have you pour out some love to. Right? If I asked you, like, hey, what are you saving up for? What do you want? You're like, oh, it, there's this creativity perhaps that it gets applied to that. But I'm asking you to just create a moment right now for God to lay perhaps a, a classmate on your heart, a neighbor, a coworker. Perhaps it's that God would give you ears as we kind of interact during the, this aftertime to hear of needs here. And as I pray that, that, that as we do this and take communion, that you would open yourself up to being able to be used by God in that way. Because Anthem Church, while I delight and us being able to be forgiven by Jesus, that is a beautiful thing. The call is to simply be more than forgiven. The, the, the call is to walk in those ways then. That we would continue to, to continue the work that Jesus did. As the Son of Man did not come to, to be served, but to serve. And give his life as a ransom for many. And it is that mark of us as believers that makes the gospel known to an unbelieving world. That we would leave here in light of the gospel and bring that change.